Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of technology, media, and business in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. And Linkshus, the place where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi, Jeff. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm well, and we are talking to Jeffrey Payne, the founding partner of Golden Gate Ventures and also the director of the Founders Institute in Singapore. I have interviewed your other partner in crime, Vinik, a couple of weeks <laughs> yep. ago. So I thought it would be good, but I got you here to talk about the Founders Institute because I know you have been instrumental in getting the program, not just in Singapore, but around the region. So maybe you can tell us a little bit pre-Founders Institute, what's the story of Jeff Payne about? Oh, sure. I'm local. I'm local Singaporean, born and raised here. Went to school in the U.S. and worked there for a little bit. I think in 2000, I came back to Singapore to start a venture fund for a then public company called MPH Limited. We started a corporate venture fund investing in Asia, China, and the U.S. So ever since then, I've been in venture capital. When I left MPH, I think three years later, I did a bit of uh, private equity in China, and a little bit in India, and then, and then went back to the U.S. to do a little bit of venture capital there. My history has always been in fund management. And then, see, I think in '09 or so, I came back to Singapore and then uh, did a little bit of angel investing. And then in 2010, I invested in a French company in Dubai and I spent a year in the Middle East, understanding the Middle East a little bit. And then subsequently, I think 2010 was the time I came back to start Founder Institute in Singapore. I've been here ever since. And then eventually also formed Golden Gate Ventures with Vini as well. Yeah. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the story behind Founder Institute because it's kind of worldwide. It started by Adio Resi from who started website blog called The Funded and then subsequently evolved into Founders Institute. I think he also set up a fund, right? Yes. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about the vision and mission of Founders Institute. I think back in 09, it, it started in May 09. So back back in those days, Adeo was trying to figure out is there a playbook to create large and meaningful companies. At that time, the funded was you know a community of uh, entrepreneurs i think at that time it was about 11000 uh, entrepreneurs talking about and then reviewing uh, venture capitalists so it's it's a close community for entrepreneurs talking you know uh, talking about vcs and, and and reviewing them so he started using that community to try to figure out whether you know that there is a way to find and pick very sh- strong entrepreneurs to start companies um, so that's how the initial spark came about the the premise was a, a good founder is uh, 80% you can learn and 20% you're born with it so he, he, he's trying to figure out you know is there a personality test that he can uh, create to sort of figure out you know the, the best DNA that fits the best founder um, so that's how it really started it was more like asking a question you know can can we predict who can be a good founder and then after that can we train them yeah so he, he used the community to sort of calibrate the personality test and then using that you know he wanted to try whether he can find someone on the street to take the test and then subsequently turn them into a, a good founder that, that was how the original idea started yeah and then what he did was i think he took about one to two thousand uh, entrepreneurs to to calibrate the test, sending them you know, test after test. That 
created the, the infamous online aptitude test the Fountain Institute have right now. How did you learn about the program? Do you know Edio before you started yeah, it? Actually, not really. At that time, I was in Dubai. And we were doing some stuff with the Abu Dhabi government. And then back then, it's, it's an interesting story. Back then, there is a clean tech initiative called the Master City in Abu Dhabi, which is a clean city. So back then, I think they wanted to do master energy prizes, like a clean technology prize. Um, so they got some guys from the X Prize. Um, I think the technical team, the CTO, and all, all the gang, um, they they brought them out to Abu Dhabi. Um, that's where I learned about the X Prize, and then that's where I learned about Adeo and Founder Institute because Adeo is on the board of the X Prize. So that's how we sort of connected via introduction. And then when I dig into it a little bit more online, I found that the program is quite interesting. That's how I reached out to him. You reached out and then you brought the program to Singapore. Just to kind of help the audience to recap, it's sort of, I think I just did a check on the uh, Founder Institute website. You all have about 1,500 companies and you all have 87.5 survival rate and about 15,000 jobs created over the span of the last few years. Tell me a little bit more about the program itself. How does it work for entrepreneurs, investors, sure. and mentors? On the entrepreneur side, it's a very straightforward thing. that You apply to the program by taking about an hour uh, online aptitude test. About probably 30 to 35% of, of entrepreneurs will pass the test and then they, they will be admitted. There is a course fee attached to it, so you pay a little bit to attend the course. So it's basically a four months long night school. It's conducted once a week at night. And then there's a series of uh, company building sessions every week and a bunch of assignments that you have to complete every week. So that's that's basically it. And then nowadays, um, every six weeks, there is a review session and they, we, we tend to try to weed people and kick people out every six weeks. So that's via peer reviews, mentor, mentor scoring and mentor ratings. So technically, you know, maybe 30% of people apply, get in, and then 30 to 40% of people graduate. So that's that's roughly the, I guess, the, the conversion rates on, on graduation. And then at, at graduation, it's, it's part of the, the, the contract or part of the, the agreement to to issue 3.5% of options to a bonus pool, which is managed by the US side. Bonus pool of 3.5% is very simple. It's split between three parties. 30% of that goes to your fellow classmates that graduate with you. 30% of that goes to the mentors that teach you. The remaining 40% will be split between FI US and FI local, which is Singapore. So that will be like 25% and 15%. So 15% at the end of the day, of 3.5% goes back to the FI holding company in the US. So that's roughly the business model going, yeah, going mm. forward. So how many badges in the FI Singapore program have you sort of mentored and helped to grow companies out of then? I think that our last semester was last year. And that's our seventh batch. Um, and then this year, I think we're launching soon. Probably in the middle of the year, we'll probably try to we'll launch the next batch. Yeah, so seven batches. So any interesting companies that came out of the badges that you have in Singapore? I guess there's a few. There's a company called Great Blaze that was acquired by a media company in the US. So that was sort of a quick win. It started less than 12 months and then they haven't even raised around it was bootstrap i think the most famous one is I icast club that raised probably close to 70 million in china mainland chinese team studied in singapore worked in singapore built a car sharing company or car sharing platform first in singapore then they moved to Shanghai, and then subsequently they raised money in china um, so that was an uh, outlier i don't think that happens a lot 
in Singapore context. The ones that we funded is like Vibes, which is a, a vibrator company with mm. with with software uh, attached to it. Yeah, then then we have a host of others. You know, s- small companies. Some some are bootstrap and and profitable. Some raise small amounts of money within iGem. You know, the the, the MDA and NRF iGem scheme. And and some some are doing fine on on their own. How does the Founders Institute help to handle entrepreneurs who fail the yep. course then? Oh, fail the course? Yeah. Do you give them a chance to try again or oh, are, yeah. they, are they just... Yeah, so, <laughs> so the way it goes is we'll try to, in the first seven days, you know, we'll try to weed them out and then there's money back. During the revisions, you know, some will, will drop out on their own. Sometimes it's they're just not confident of the idea. Sometimes the, uh, the timing isn't right for them. Sometimes because of work schedule they can't make the classes example for example so so those guys they can come into the next semester for free for sure they can even join another city they can join another founder institute in another city for free that's something that we do quite often yeah so how do you, do you actually help the founders institute to kind of extend to other parts of Southeast Asia as well yeah I think in the early stages yes uh, so I would say I pretty much interviewed most of the the local directors some of them are sort of proposed by me so i have a little bit of hand in in the southeast asian side of things and also australia it's been interesting we've i think we have local chapters almost everywhere except I don't know, cambodia Laos, I think. yeah and taiwan and new zealand mm. yeah other, other than that we are everywhere <laughs> are the other programs similar in terms curriculum wise or maybe i think one of the most interesting aspects of the founders institute as i recall you also blend in with local and global entrepreneurs together for the yeah. curriculum course right yeah, yeah, yeah curriculum wise i would say it's 80 percent similar and then you know 20 percent it's kind of free reign so some experienced directors can sort of tailor some of their their classes to fit the local context but majority of the curriculum is quite uh, similar so we follow a global kind of a playbook that that changes every every few months and then for mentors yes so we have each program probably 30 to 45 mentors that come and we try to as best as we can have you know mentors that come from different cities um, if possible uh, you know, we'll fly them. We'll try to fly them out from the US. Um, so we do. We do have some fair, fair bit of uh, mentors that come from you know other countries. I guess you have some very notable, well-known guys who came from the US, like Phil Lebin, the CEO of Evernote. Yes, yes. Now, any other interesting people who have came by? Yeah, we have like you know the founders of Trialpay that just that was just acquired, and the founders of iFi, which is very cool. Ziff, Ziff was a great guy. He always hosts us at his office when we are traveling to the valley. We have quite a fair bit of people, you know, including Trip from Script and of course Brian from Kip. Is there now a Founders Institute alumni? The alumni part, there are a few networks that we use. We have a active Yammer group. I think we are, we are about to start a Slack group as well. Locally, there's a Facebook group for Singapore. The regional directors also have a Facebook group, so we can help each other on, you know, companies going from one city to another city. Everything else is, I think, quite siloed. So the, each country will have their own community of alumni that, that talk to each other but it's fairly uh, straightforward so like uh, alumni traveling we will always I- introduce the directors there and then you know, all the introductions will be made quite quickly what are the plans for Founders Institute is it just going hmm? to be expanding more towards the other remaining geographies within Asia 
Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I think Asia pack wise, China. We just started in Shenzhen, and I think we will be moving into China a little bit more. Taipei is my task. <laughs> Not that I told a day old. This is my task, but I I want to see <laughs> to see FI in Taipei. Auckland is probably about time. I think Auckland in New Zealand should should have one already in terms of ecosystem wise. They should be ready for for now. Recently, just came back from Central Asia. Yeah, Kazakhstan probably maybe later this year or next year they should be ready by then. Moving on from Founders Institute, you also set up Golden Gate Ventures. Yes, and I mean I spoke to Vini and he told me a little bit about how he got started with you in Golden Gate Ventures. So, I guess I'm more interested in your inv- investment thesis as a venture capitalist. Do you have one? Let's see. Given the <coughs> venture capital for almost I think ten yeah. years, right, of your career. Like formal thesis, we actually don't have one. So the rationale is like early startup ecosystems. We don't really know what will happen, so we we are quite opportunistic. So if we see something that founders you know think up, uh, we we will try to see if we can help them out. But of course, if you look at our portfolio, you can kind of tell you know there's there's e-commerce, there's payments that we like a lot. There is mobile, there is B two B SaaS, and then there's a couple of hardware companies. Like thematically, we pretty much covered everything. I think if you can think of whichever vertical, we are pretty much in there. So n- not much thematically, but we are pretty open to what the entrepreneurs in this region have in mind, and we'll see whether it fits. Do you cover region specific, for example? Yeah, so for Fund Two, we are still doing Southeast Asia, but we included uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. We are still focused on seed, and now we are a little bit more focused on Series A as well. What kind of startups, or maybe even the type of founders that actually catch your interest or give you the kind of vibe that this is the right guy I'm going to invest in? Then I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know. Th- I think Vinny will have his take. I, I would assume then I will have my take. But yeah. we we kind of share certain overlaps here and there. I tend to like the the underdog type, the underdog hustlers. Doesn't have to be engineer, but I tend to like underdog engineers. You know, get things done. Really don't don't give up that easily. Type type of people. But but I think our portfolio founder founding team is quite diverse I, I, I think but they tend to know what they're doing they tend to have sort of have enough research have done enough have seen enough data you know to be able to be confident that this is something is you know worth worth pursuing what are the kind of common mistakes usually when founders come pitching to you I think recently is they are coming to raise money much earlier I don't know why they are like raising a lot more money with no traction which is the last six months of phenomena. I don't know what's going on. So that's one. And the other mistake is they start off in the wrong market, which to me is quite quite common. But it's common with Singapore-based founders. I think choosing the wrong B-shaped market is like one of the killer wrong moves that you 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 might be taking. What is your advice? For people who want to go into venture capital in Singapore, uh, basically the the fundamental thing is having something called founder empathy, which is to understand what you know f- founders are going through when they are starting companies. So there's a few ways to do that. Uh, one is of course you know if, if you have founded a company. Two is you have worked for a startup and you work directly under the founders, so you can kind of tell you know how 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 they make decisions and you know how how stressful they get every every day. So and then and then the other way the other way is sort of um, you came from scratch, right? You've never worked in a startup. You've never started a company, but because you have many years of you know investment portfolio management experience, you will learn to know what 
you know the founders are thinking over time but but that that will take a bit more years than if you have started your own company so so it's just the learning curve part right? to me just as long as you have founder empathy that that is the first step at least for me so do you think that there's always this debate about operator vcs versus uh, financial vcs do you think yeah. that actually there is really this dichotomy or i think it's actually in most venture funds it's just you need a mixture of both. Oh, yeah, you, you do need a mixture of both. So the operator guys will function well in the early the early part. Right? So starting, shipping, launching, and then pivoting and, and you know that kind of thing. Whereas financial guys tends tends to be better at you know the, the subsequent rounds and growing and even recruiting. So I think a combination would be a perfect I would say probably a perfect one. What we want to do is we want to come to talk a little bit about the Southeast Asia ecosystem. I think you have been mm-hmm. moving around the region. What do you see are the kind of trends in early stage investing to the venture capital space? I mean, which countries are more developed, but which countries are less developed in that? I think many of them are already pretty fairly developed i think in the last two three years many of them have cashed up some are sleepy for a while and then they came back again all all those that couldn't make it or couldn't raise money they they went they went away and then the ones who are left are the the strong the strong ones so you have a bit of wave here and there i think malaysia has had a wave vietnam has a wave thailand has a little bit of a wave Uh, philippines seems to be quite okay and then indonesia a little bit of a wave right they have Quite, quite a bit of, of a big surge in a couple of years ago um, and then now I think in the last six to nine months there's another big surge I think the series A surge and it's primarily started from Singapore in terms of the series A surge yes a little bit I think it's more of Singapore started a little bit and then the the Indonesia story, Indonesia market, and then you know you have the Tokopedia deal, and then subsequently the Indonesia play became the topic of a lot of startups. Post it, they 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 will bump up their valuation like maybe quite a bit. I think mm. from I don't know like five to eight times within maybe eighteen months. And that kind of leads to a much more important question, right? What are your thoughts on the current valuations of startups? I mean. We are having companies like Grab Taxi raising a 250 million round and I think there is a lot of 6, 6 million and 25 Series A rounds going on in the last couple of days and weeks. Yeah. Do you yep. think that the valuations are moving up? Is it just maybe the market has been under underperforming but now is in the rightful valuation or are we just kind of heading towards some form of like a maybe, well, the, the word that people should not talk about is the word bubble. I think there's two parts to this. I think one are the conservative guys where the valuation isn't justified on performance. The valuation came because they think there's future growth in it. So that's one. And then then some some investors believe in that growth and then some investors believe in performance. So if you haven't performed, you shouldn't be, you you know, you shouldn't justify the valuation. That's, I guess, two ways of thinking whether you believe in the growth and then whether you believe in performance versus the just justification of valuation. But on the flip side, there aren't exits that often yet. So that, that makes investors even more wary about the growth, right? So even if there's growth, but what if there's no exit? What's, what's the point, right? So um, so I think there will be two, two schools of thought. There will be people that will be backing companies still because I would think that they know where the growth is. They know how to m- make the company profitable and sustainable and they don't have to be acquired right they can go public on their own they can be profitable on their own 
so they believe in that story and they'll, they'll try to make it happen and if not then they'll put more money right they'll put more, more money to make sure that it happens it's a bit of an iffy thing so i think investors are sort of like they believe in some they don't believe in some right that kind of thing but the, you know there is a lot of also what like foreign and more global venture capital entering into the region so yeah. for example tiger capital and softbank are uh, their injection of funding also help to raise the valuations even though you know exit might look even much more impossible i mean if you are a yeah. 250 million invested company how much more you know, more probably have to be worth almost a billion right so where's the exit yeah. going to come from from there i think that that deal in particular is probably slightly different right so it's more of a corporate like a corporate believing in the team and believing in the category right and it's kind of like this is the amount of money you have X years to execute, right? um, and then let's let's go do it together. Kind of like a JV, kind of like a JV kind of way. So it's it's a long term play, long term view. Uh, one investor, and whether there's an exit, whether SoftBank might acquire, not sure. Right? It's it's like you know there is uh, there is powder for you to execute this this plan, and then let let's see where it goes. Of course, brand name investors in town that might be giving very high valuations. You know that happens as well. Um, and then they're believing in the big, bigger story, longer term story, you know, you, they have maybe six to eight years of money to execute. So so those those are the ones that actually probably believe in the market size, believe in the growth rates. Um, and then making sure that they're in early, making sure the team can recruit the best people, making sure they have enough capital going forward. So for example, Sequoia, Sequoia strategy usually is more of a partnership base, right? So they. They invest in you as a partner, and then if you need more money, they'll just they just invest more. I mean, it's just, it's just like a long term, you know, it's a long term category killer kind of kind of style. So you will definitely have these people, and then of course you have the brand name, short term, you know, type type of people who wants to see some return uh, slightly quicker. But but you know, in investors there are different types around. So I think that comes down to my kind of uh, last question. What are your thoughts on the emerging markets like Indonesian, Philippines, Malaysia and Thailand surrounding these regions? If you take away government and politics, amongst those that you mentioned, I think uh, Thailand is the one that, that is a little bit... Um, everything seems fine. I, I, I don't see the different engagement usage. The growth are going to slow down. General population is still pretty young. So, so that's, that's not going to change much uh, unless something happens in the overall economy, I would say that things are changing, especially mobile is, is quite interesting. I'm, I'm bullish because that's, that's the reason why I, I set up a fund to invest in this region. So I guess it's this time of the kind of the podcast to ask, where do my audience find you? Sure. Um, they can find me on Twitter at the at jpain, J-P-A-I-N-E. Um, and then if they, you know, if, if they want to reach out to me at my email, it's jeff at goldengate.vc I'm pretty open to anything so if there are listeners who wants to bounce ideas wants to email me pitches no problem um, just be aware that I'm very blunt because of my Founder Institute training <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com and you can also follow this podcast at Analyze Asia A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia or analyzeasia.com um, we c- you can definitely listen to us through SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes and of course the best place to listen to us is Overcast um, so Jeff once again thank you for coming for the show looking forward to speak to you again take care take care